remember, history lives on through the stories we tell. I'm Peter, and this is Who Died Today, the podcast that explores the lives of famous individuals on the day they passed away. Today we are delving into the extraordinary life of Kim Il-sung, the president of the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, better known as North Korea here in the West. Now, Kim ruled and shaped the people of North Korea so much so that even today, almost 30 years after his death, he is still referred to as North Korea's eternal president. So, without any further ado, let's delve into the fascinating world and life of Kim Il-sung. Kim Il-sung was born on April 15th of 1912. April 15th has a significance in North Korean culture. Hmm, I wonder why. But at this point, it does not. He is born in Mengjongdae near Pyongyang and in what is now North Korea. Back then, it was just Korea. His birth name was Kim Sung-ju and he came from a pretty modest background. However, for understanding's sake, rather than referring to him as King Sung-ju and switching up about halfway through the episode, we are going to just refer to him as Kim Il-sung throughout the episode. So, Kim Il-sung's family had a revolutionary background to begin with. His father, Kim Hyung-jik, was actively involved in the anti-Japanese movement, and growing up in this environment, Kim Il-sung developed a really strong sense of Korean nationalism and a desire for the liberation of Korea. Now, as one could expect, this really affected Kim Il-sung's childhood and pretty much shaped him as a young man. Right, the tumultuous political situation in Korea during the time was one of Japanese occupation that had ended up having a profound effect on the people who lived there. And Kim Il-sung was one of those people. From a young age, Kim Il-sung witnessed firsthand the oppression and all of the injustices that were faced by the Korean people under Japanese rule, right? This experience really helped to ignite in him this desire to fight for his country's independence and almost follow in his father's footsteps, right? They wanted to free it from this foreign domination. This, however, did not mean that Kim Il-sung was not receiving a formal education at the time. His formative years were really shaped by a combination of traditional Korean values and revolutionary ideals instilled in him by his father. He immersed himself in the study of Korean history, culture, and literature, and he really truly developed a deep connection to his roots, and a really strong national identity that would shape him. So his first true involvement in the Korean independence movement happens at about age 13, when Kim Il-sung moved to Manchuria in China, where he continued his studies. It was at this time that he became involved in 
anti-Japanese resistance movements, and thus ended up joining the struggle for Korean independence. Kim Il-sung's involvement in the resistance movement exposed him to the realities of the armed struggle and guerrilla warfare and just warfare in general. He quickly rose through the ranks and displayed natural leaderships and earned the respect of his fellow fighters. As a young guerrilla fighter, he learned the importance of strategy, resilience, unity, all these things that you would typically expect from someone in a military-type organization. He organized and led numerous attacks against Japanese forces, and he earned a reputation for having a great tactical acumen and a true dedication to the cause of the Korean people. These early experiences in the resistance movement shaped Kim Il-sung's vision for a liberated Korea. He witnessed the suffering of his people under the Japanese rule and really was driven by this desire to free his homeland, right? You kind of see this common theme that he wants to free the Korean people. So around this time in 1941, Kim Il-sung is going to marry Kim Jong-suk, and she was a prominent figure in the Korean independence movement as well. And through her kind of role, she's going to end up becoming revered within North Korea itself when North Korea becomes a country, right? Together, they had two children. Their first son, Kim Jong-il, was born on February 16th of 1941. Now, just because he had a family, this did not stop Kim Il-sung's commitment to the cause, and it actually led him to seek military training and ideological guidance from none other than the Soviet Union. When he traveled to the Soviet Union, he received an education and military training, further honing in his leadership skills and deepening his understanding of Marxism-Leninism. So during World War II, he fought alongside the Soviet forces against the Japanese, again gaining valuable military experience and forging relationships with Soviet leaders. The support from the Soviet Union would end up playing a pivotal role in his rise to power. As World War II drew to a close, Korea was liberated from Japanese rule, but it ended up soon becoming divided, right? This is where we get North and South Korea. The Soviet Union occupied the North and helped Kim Il-sung, and the United States occupied the South. This division helped to set the stage for the eventual establishment of separate governments on each side of the conflict. So at the end of World War II, Kim Il-sung returned to Korea from his exile in the Soviet Union. He had the backing of the Soviets, and he quickly rose to prominence within the political landscape of North Korea. He was charismatic, he showed great leadership skills, and his revolutionary ideology really resonated with the people. This all combined to garner a significant amount of support for his cause. 
while he was a prominent figure before 1948, it was in 1948 that Kim Il-sung proclaimed the establishment of the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, and he appointed himself as the premier. This marked the beginning of his formal leadership role and his lifelong consolidation of power. So with the establishment of the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, Kim Il-sung began implementing his political and economic agenda. He aimed to build a socialist state that would serve as a model for the world. He first focused on strengthening the Workers' Party of Korea. He tried to centralize its control and really just consolidate his own authority. He started by initiating a series of purges that eliminated perceived threats to his leadership. Now, this will be a common theme in North Korea up until the present day. The goal is to solidify the ruler's position as the supreme leader of North Korea. Another of the first things that Kim Il-sung did was implement a centrally planned economy. Now, this economy followed the principles of the Juche ideology. Now, this ideology emphasized self-reliance and independence. And this is what's going to take the country down a path that is both ambitious, but kind of separates it from the rest of the world, right? It's ambitious in the way that it's trying to industrialize. It has this heavy focus on industry and infrastructure development. There was also agricultural collectivization, and he implemented these policies to consolidate the farmland and promote collective farming, similarly to that that he had seen in other countries in which he had lived. The goal was to increase the agricultural output and basically achieve self-sufficiency. As he continued to lead, North Korea experienced rapid social and cultural transformations. Kim Il-sung promoted a cult of personality where his image and ideology permeated every single aspect of society. Propaganda and public displays of loyalty were used to foster this sense of unity and basically an unwavering support for the regime. Now, one of the ways that he is able to kind of get all of this power is through educational indoctrination, right? This is going to play a crucial role in shaping the minds of North Korea and North Korean's children, therefore shaping the minds for generations to come. Kim Il-sung's revolutionary teachings were basically incorporated into every aspect of the curriculum, and children were taught to idolize him as a father and the savior of the nation. Another way that he's able to kind of consolidate this power is he established a really repressive surveillance state. And the state security apparatus led the, 
led by the Ministry of State Security, ensured strict adherence to the regime's ideology and maintained a really tight control over the population. This, combined with the education, really prevented any challengers to Kim's rule in his early years. His first real test came in the early 1950s, where North Korea was going to be devastated by the Korean War, right? This really tested the resilience of the regime, but North Korea, unlike a lot of these smaller countries who are taken over by one supreme person, North Korea, with the support of allies, managed to repel the invasion and maintain its independence. And it's with all of this consolidation of power that he really is able to establish the totalitarian regime that he wants and try to transform North Korea into this self-reliant socialist state. His policies during this time shaped every aspect of society, from politics to the economy to the culture to just the ideology of the everyday people. Now, I had previously mentioned the Juche ideology, and this was one of the key pillars of his rule. Juche generally means self-reliance, and it became a guiding principle of North Korea's policies. It emphasized the independence, political sovereignty, and cultural autonomy from the rest of the world. It was under this Juche ideology that Kim Il-sung sought to reduce the dependence on external forces and establish basically a closed, isolated nation. This led to the adoption of policies which prioritized military strength and defense above all else. As North Korea became increasingly self-contained, the regime limited contact with the outside world, creating this tightly controlled society where information flow was strictly regulated and dissent was quickly suppressed. Kim Il-sung's rule during this period was marked by a cult of personality that reached unprecedented levels. His image and teachings were propagated throughout state-controlled media, and his leadership was basically portrayed as infallible and unquestionable. If Kim said jump, you asked how high. As is expected as part of this personality cult, Kim Il-sung's birthday, April 15th, was declared the Day of the Sun, a national holiday and one of, if not the most important date in North Korea's calendar. Elaborate celebrations were held, and it showcased the leader's image and all of his achievements. Some of these interesting achievements, to say the least, include an extraordinary feat in golf of shooting an incredible 11 holes in one during a single round. He immediately retired after that. He's also said to have invented the hamburger. And on top of that, he allegedly never once used the bathroom. His body just worked that efficiently. While we can question his golf game, we can't necessarily question his economic policies and their focus. 
At the time, they focused on heavy industrialization and military buildup. These were focused on helping Kim maintain his power. He emphasized the importance of a strong military as a deterrent against these external threats and, like I said, as a means for preserving his regime's power. However, despite this rhetoric of self-reliance, the North Korean economy faced numerous challenges. They had a lack of central planning that led to inefficiencies and a lot of misallocation of resources. The country's isolation and limited trade further hindered its economic growth. And while all of these complicated relationships and dynamics are going on, Kim Il-sung's rule also saw the perpetuation of human rights abuses and the suppression of dissent. The regime maintained tight control over freedom of expression, association, and religion. Political dissidents and perceived threats to the regime were subject to serve punishments, including imprisonment, forced labor, and even death. Despite the hardships faced by the North Korean people, Kim Il-sung's rule maintained a level of stability and control over the country. The regime fostered a sense of unity, even if that was a manufactured one, amongst its citizens through this constant indoctrination and the careful management of information that we can still even see today in North Korea. As Kim Il-sung grew older, concerns about succession and the future of the regime became increasingly significant. The question of who would assume the mantle of leadership after his passing loomed heavily over the country. In 1991, he elevated his son, Kim Jong-il, to the position of supreme commander of the Korean People's Army, positioning him as the heir apparent. This move signaled a clear intention to establish a dynastic succession within the Kim family. As his health allegedly began to decline, Kim continued to position his son in the position of power. And on July 8th of 1994, the world received the news that Kim Il-sung had passed away. On the day of his death, he was at his residence in Pyongyang, and it was reported that he experienced a sudden heart attack while receiving medical treatment. Despite efforts to revive him, he passed away at the age of 82. The news of Kim Il-sung's death sent shockwaves throughout North Korea and the international community. The regime initiated a period of mourning, and the country came to a complete standstill as people mourned the loss of their revered leader. It's even said that those who did not cry long enough were often punished. This mourning period lasted several weeks and during which elaborate funeral ceremonies were held, the regime orchestrated a grand display of grief with large-scale processions and public gatherings to pay tribute to Kim Il-sung's legacy. 
After this final tour of the country, Kim Il-sung's body was embalmed and placed on display in the Kumsusan Palace of the Sun, a grand mausoleum in Pyongyang. The mausoleum originally was built for Kim Il-sung's father, but became the final resting place for both leaders. Following his death, Kim Il-sung's son, Kim Jong-il, assumed the leadership of North Korea and continued the dynastic rule that had been established. The transition of power was carefully managed, and it ensured that there was a continuation of the regime and its ideology. Even after his death, Kim Il-sung's presence remained pervasive in North Korean society. His image and his teachings continued to be propagated through state-controlled media, and his legacy was upheld as an integral part of the regime's ideology and the history of Korea. To this day, Kim Il-sung is remembered as the eternal president of North Korea. His mausoleum remains a significant site for pilgrimage and reverence, and his persona continues to shape the collective consciousness of the nation years and years after his death. And that brings us to the end of today's episode on Kim Il-sung, the first in a line of North Korean rulers that have managed to hold on to power almost 90 years later. Join us next time on Who Died Today as we explore the life of another remarkable individual who made an indelible mark on history. I'm your host, Peter, and thank you for listening.